I love playing stupid. That's, uh, there's a watermelon seed out here somewhere. And, uh, uh, but it kind of, I, th- I think I'm pretty good at playing dumb. It comes to me naturally. And uh, yeah, it's one of my spiritual gifts. Uh, the, uh, you know that that lesson is also for you. I mean, you get that. Uh, they got it. They knew everything that was needed. They, they figured it out. And it's also for us, but, but it's not watermelon that we're interested in. Uh, spiritual growth. This is the growing season, and I hope you're excited about that. And yet, sometimes we have the same impatience with spiritual growth that I had as the dumb guy wanting an instant watermelon. That... Um, we're baptized and we think, well, I don't feel any different. Now what? And I don't know that we're, we need to think about what we offer after baptism. We teach, we evangelize, we call people to Jesus. This whole sermon is supposed to end with an invitation for you to be baptized. Now, if you've already been baptized, it's nap time. That's the way we often treat this. Because this is supposed to be evangelistic and then there's an altar call. But we don't call it an altar call. We call it an invitation. And I wonder if we're missing something when we do that. What do we ask of people after they've been baptized? Well, we need someone to, you know, do this and that and it'll help out a little bit. But basically all we ask of people is stay out of trouble, don't embarrass us, and then you get to go to heaven when you die. You've checked in at the beginning, you've got your ticket, just don't lose it. I really think we're missing something when we have that sort of false gospel. There's so much more between baptism and the end of our life on earth. There's an opportunity to grow. Baptism is described as a death in Romans 6. A death to sin, a death to worldly decay, a death to ordinary life in this world. But it's a birth, a new creation, and it's the birth, it's the first step into eternity. So there's a possibility there that between our baptism and the end of our life, we might expect a lot of growth. That an active God that works in baptism continues to work in us. So maybe times like this coming together, this is where we are in the growing season and we're waiting to harvest a new crop of spiritual fruit. We're waiting to harvest a new crop of spiritual gifts. If the point of Christianity is nothing more than to get us into heaven, then what's Christianity got to do with earth? This life is not about staying out of trouble and just not making mistakes and not getting God upset or showing up on His radar. It's about walking in step with God in this life. Someone said it like this once, and I've never forgotten this. Christianity isn't just about the heavenly golden streets. It's also about the earthly concrete streets. It's about heaven and earth and the convergence of the two. A disciple is someone who, out of their baptism, grows and learns and lives the life of Christ. The same life 
that Christ was living. And that, and that may come to us as a bit of a shock. Maybe we're afraid to admit that. Because we're afraid to say that if, if Christ calls us to that kind of standard, oh no, we're going to chase a lot of people off. Because don't we want to make Christianity user-friendly? Don't we want to make it easy? We may want to, but read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to find yourself in the kingdom of heaven. That's a high mark. Scribes and Pharisees were notorious for being particularly fussy and scholarly about getting everything right. How do you surpass such detail? Well, that's probably a lesson for another time, but I believe it has more to do than just fussiness about getting all the rules right. I believe it goes deeper when you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes into the way we live. It goes into the way we think. It goes into the kind of people we are. And and attached to that is the promise that God will help us grow spiritually, that there is a transforming process from our baptism to every day in our life we are learning to be better people. And we do that with one another. We do that as a church. We are disciples. Disciples, and, and, and by the way, one of the things I want you to help me grow in, I listen to... Uh, recordings of, of ministers and preachers. And sometimes I hear preachers and they will use, they will use, um, uh, they'll speak in a language that I call Biblish. Okay? Biblish is this language where you use words that come from the Bible, but you really don't know what they mean. But they sound Biblish, so that, sound, that must be good. And of course, these are words that you would never use in ordinary conversation. To me, The words of our faith and our gospel ought to be words that we can use in everyday conversation, right? Seems like it, if we're going to be disciples. And a disciple is one of those words that we don't use outside of church very much, but a disciple is simply a student, a learner, a practitioner. And a disciple is learning how to live. I want you to help me use words... That communicate every day. And you can help me with that. And some of the, some of the best conversations I have are when people say, you know, I, I didn't understand that part. Help me understand that a little bit better. And it helps me to be a better preacher. And it helps all of us to be better disciples. Being a disciple means that we must grow. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7 Jesus, at the end, after, after talking about this righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, he ends it with that little image. And again, we need to go back to our children's lessons. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You know, and you know, when you sing that song as a kid, you really, the wise man building his house is the boring part. Because you want to get to the foolish man, because then you get to do this big, wicked clap when his when his house went splat, and everybody likes to scream, and, and yeah, and I think we kind of missed the point. But the, 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 the wise man, the wise builder is the one, Jesus says, who takes his words and puts them into practice. We're living it. 
We're living the teaching of Jesus. And it doesn't come instantly. No more than watermelons come instantly when you throw a seed on the ground. But we live in an instant world. We live in a now microwave, e-transmission, iPhone download world. We're not used to the time it takes to grow something. I was baptized. I don't feel any different. How am I supposed to grow as a Christian? I read that book you mentioned. I don't feel any different. When's it supposed to happen? I've been going to this class now for 10 weeks. What? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. This isn't working. And we give up. Or we just sort of settle in to a rut. We trade off growth for routine. I'll show up every Sunday Maybe Sunday night, Wednesday, if I got a little extra time, that's good. Put a little extra on there, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make my appointments. Come do my communion. That's good. Pray for me when I'm sick, and then I'll pray for you. And that's good. And we settle into a routine, but we're not growing. We might as well be seeds on a shelf. Over the years here at West Ark... Our leaders have developed a way of describing what it means to be a disciple, what's involved. What they've done is they've adapted a concept called worship plus two. And we started out with that. We started out with worship, grow, and serve. And then we realized that give was a special part of that. What John said today during the offering was very appropriate. That giving is really sharing. Giving, God shares with us, we share with one another, we share with the world. So this is sort of a worship plus three, but this is, a, this is some West Ark language that you see up here on the board. Worship, grow, serve, give. Sometimes we call it the four compass points of discipleship. Sometimes we call it the, the four building blocks of discipleship. But what our, our leaders have articulated, and, and I want you to understand that, that this isn't necessarily taken straight out of the Bible, but it is biblical. But this is a way that we have to talk to one another, to, to express expectations of one another, to say worship ought to be a vital part of a growing disciple's life. Growing ought to be a vital part of a disciple's life. Serving ought to be a vital part. Giving ought to be a vital part. If you can think of this as the four food groups. I always loved those commercials for cereal they used to have back in the day. And then they would always pass the cereal off, like, here's Captain Crunch, okay? You're going to eat, or whatever it is, or, you know, uh, super sugar atom bomb flakes and stuff like that. And, you know, it's jam-packed with uh, sucrose and, 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 or something, you know, that's flammable. And, and, uh, and so you eat these, and then they say, it's a healthy part of a well-balanced breakfast. Now, the thing was, the well-balanced breakfast was out there, and it usually had uh, gravy and, and uh, slabs of bacon and, and fried eggs, and all of this was there, and then a little bowl of cereal. And I thought, but I just want to eat the cereal. Yeah, it's a part of it. It's a part of it the same way the fork is a part of a healthy, balanced breakfast. These things, though, are going to balance your experience as a disciple. Worshiping, growing, serving, giving. But if this is our growth, what exactly does it mean to be grow? We define growth as some way of getting together with others and encouraging one another, helping one another grow, practicing 
teaching and praying. In other words, the purpose of the church, one of the purposes of the church, is for us to encourage one another to be better Christians tomorrow than we have been today. That's growth. And we do that in many ways. Now, I'm going to invite you to come back tonight. I'm shooting, I'm shoot, if possible, I'm, I'm shooting high. Let's have a 100% return rate. Because this commitment that you give in tonight at 6 p.m. is the start of what could be a fantastic season of growth where we all ask ourselves, what could we do? How could we link up with others? How could we share with others to grow? Some of you are already doing this. Some of you are looking for opportunities. Some of you just need encouragement to think of a way. All things are possible. And we're going to talk about the details in that tonight. But you, I will tell you this one thing. Here's the one general principle in all of this. If we are going to grow, it must be intentional. We have to make that decision. We can grow. God's Spirit can bring us along. We can go through experiences that cause us to grow. But it's also possible for us to set out on a quest, to set out on a journey of growth. You you see this in life. If we want to grow a garden, we have to plant a garden. We have to tend to a garden. If we want to be healthier and eat right, we have to think about what we're eating. We have to put some time and attention into it. If we want to learn something, we have to spend some time focusing on that. Why do we think it's any different with our spiritual growth? I'm not saying that God's not involved and it's only all up to us. In fact, I'm saying that God comes in the midst of the two or three of us that are gathered in His name. And what He does then is He develops growth, spiritual growth in that process. So you come back tonight, and we're going to talk about that. I'll get to that in a second. But how do we get from the um, seed to the fruit? If you think of that as an ordinary growing process, you have to plant the seed, just like the lesson we learned with the kids. You have to put it in the dirt. You have to give it water. It needs sunshine to grow. It needs whatever processes we can put in there. But then we have to be patient and we have to wait for that to grow and we tend that growth. We should have the same perspective, the same intentional perspective of our spiritual growth. And uh, by the way, what we have to watch out for is the quick fix. You know, there's an interesting stat that... um, The fitness industry is a billion-dollar industry. And yet, other studies show that fitness in North America is less than what it's ever been. Now, how is that happening? How is it that that fitness industry is making all this money and people are buying electronic items and they're buying memberships and they're buying programs to become fit, and yet fitness is on the downside? You'd think if you invest in it, then it's supposed to go up. What's happening 
Well, what's happening is people are looking for the quick fix. You and I are looking for the quick fix. I just want to be more spiritual tomorrow than I was yesterday. Isn't there a passage I can read? Isn't there something I can look up? There's the ministry side of this, and I've seen this over the years. People will come to me and say, hey, what's that verse that makes everything better? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Oh, I don't know. Find me a verse, and then I'll go and I'll say this to the right people, and everything will be better. It's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> You're going to mine the Bible. You're going to distill it down to a little food pellet so that we can, we can get all the nutrients out of it, and that's it. When really it's the richness of the entire word and dwelling on it and living with it over the years that creates the growth. So, think of this seed and the patience and the effort and the intention that has to go into it to produce growth. How do we get from seed to fruit? Well, it's not only a matter of patience and waiting. We have to do some things. Now, now here's what I love about the agricultural metaphor. There are things that we can do and should do and must do, but none of it ultimately empowers the seed to grow. And, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, what about GMOs? What about, you know, uh, genetically? Fine, that's fine. But you know what? You're still working with the basic building blocks that God gave us. We're not inventing seed out of raw material, okay? Uh, The point is, even in that case, what? We still use the process that's inherent and natural to that. What we do is called cultivation. We cultivate growth. That that, that old antique farm equipment you see back there, that's called a cultivator. We used to have some like that. When we first bought the farmland, my grandfather went out and he bought all this old farm equipment. Some of it, I think, was already left on the land. Some of it was falling apart. It was, it was rotten. It was rusted. But we just had a whole collection of junk. Oh, and these things fascinated me. Because these machines, they had, they had springs, they had levers, and they were all, these mechanical instruments were, were all about creating, growing organic stuff. The mechanical, the machine, the, the invention was about serving the organic, natural growth. And so when it was the growing season, when my grandmother said, it's time, we've got to go plant the crops, we've got to go put the potatoes out, we've got to go put this out, we would all get excited. And I was more excited about the machines because we had some upgraded stuff. I think this one's drawn by a horse. Our horse, we, I think my cousin had a horse, but you know, horse wasn't going to work in the yard. He was, he was pampered, he was spoiled, he was a spoiled horse. But we had a tractor. And that was even better. And we would ride on the back of the plow. I'm not sure. It was like, hey, yeah, y'all hold that down. I think they just put us there to keep us out of the way of the tractor. But we, were, we, would, we would get involved tilling the soil. That was the first thing you had to do. That's what the word cultivate means. From its ancient form, tilling the soil. Now, somewhere in the 1680s, it takes on a different meaning. That that meaning of cultivating soil to prepare it for plant growth is just like improving people and creating situations. You're going to cultivate culture. You're going to cultivate education and learning in people. Here's what this growth season that we're about to go into is all about. It's about cultivating growth. 
Can you imagine, front, front page of the bulletin, you read it. Take that home with you, please. Read that. Bring it back tonight. Read those questions. Take them to lunch today. Talk to one another about those questions. Can you imagine what might happen if we develop an atmosphere of spiritual cultivation here? That if we were interested in, in, in cultivating the work of the Spirit among each and every one of us, young and old, what might happen? That was always one of the exciting things about the growing season on the farm. My grandmother had most of the wisdom. I, she, she, just, she knew this stuff. She even thought that you're supposed to plant stuff by the light of the moon. And, and now I'm actually learning that that's supposed to have some validity. I don't know. My grandfather resisted it, though. He said, I don't plant under the moon. You know, he's like, I will do it on a Saturday when, when I can get his tractor out. And he didn't care. He was, he was gonna, you know, those seeds were going to grow on his schedule. And, uh, but we would always ask her, what's this one going to make? What's going to grow out of this? And then you'd see those plants. I don't know if you know this, but plants in the garden look a lot different than what you find in the supermarket. Yeah. And, and you'd see these uh, weird green leafy brown things, and you're like, what is that? You know, what's that thing with a flower on it? That's a potato. That's not a potato. Yeah. So we were always asking her, what are we going to get? I mean, we've done all this work. We've cultivated. What are we going to get? What will we get? If we devoted ourselves, all of us, as a church and as individuals, to 90 days, and we'll talk about the processes we can do tonight, but what might we get? I think it would look something like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, often that comes off as a children's lesson. We get the fruit out, the little plastic fruit, and we write on there, this is love, this is joy. Love's usually an apple or a strawberry. I don't know why. I guess because it looks like a heart. But, you know, we put the little names on it, each one of them. It's fun. But, you know, this text comes in the midst of some very serious talk to the church in Galatia. That the church in Galatia is going to harvest a crop. They are going to reap some produce that doesn't seem like this at all. That the path that they're on means they're going to reap some bitter, bitter stuff. Not the fruit of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh. And there's some warnings that surround this. So maybe we ought to take this list rather seriously. And also get excited about it to say, you know, what would our lives look like if we had more love, joy? Would you like to have more peace in your life? Oh, yes, you would. Forbearance. Look it up. Kindness. Could the world use more kindness? Oh, yeah. And I'm not just talking about the absence of conflict. And I'm not just talking about talking cutesy to each other. I'm talking about real kindness. Brave, heroic, bold, fearless kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we could cultivate among us. 
And that's just one example among many. You know, those machines that were created to cultivate the gardens, those cultivators, and now you have even more complex machines. One of the things that they show us is when you're serious about growing your food, you're going to get ingenious. You're going to get creative. When it comes to growing food, and we're serious about it, I mean, if we had to think about it, we're going to get ingenious about it. Most of us know that we can go to the diner or we can go to the supermarket. But if you ever live close to the land, you know that you've got to get rather creative to grow your garden. And in the, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about some of that. Because I think that if we think again what it means to live close to the land, as people before us and as people in other places do, well, we're going to be real serious about keeping some of the pests and some of the weeds out of our garden. We're going to be real serious about how to develop good, healthy fruit that will benefit all of us and feed all of us. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be encouraging. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. So, I hope you're prepared for growth. I'll say it one last time. Come back tonight. We'll start out here in the auditorium. We're going to talk about some of the options that exist, and we're going to share ideas and encouragement for spiritual growth. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to, we are not going to discuss every possible option, because there's no way we can do that. When we're serious about spiritual growth, we're going to get creative. We're going to get ingenious about the way we can do that. We're going to spur one another on. Hey, I think that's Prepare for works of service to build up his body. Excite one another to love and good deeds. We're going to spur one another on. We're going to encourage one another. That's exactly what's happening tonight. So it's appropriate that we end the whole event tonight with a meal together. That we have some fellowship. We have some some communion of a different sort. But I'm just asking you, 90 days. There are programs out there that promise you results in 90 days. Now, in 90 days, we will not be perfect. But after 90 days of cultivating God's Holy Spirit in this spiritual community, in the lives of our families, in our own lives, couldn't we be more mature when we come together again on the next fifth Sunday, which is April 30th? Well, you answer that however you want, but I'll tell you what. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what if. I mean, why not? It's certainly better than being in a rut. It's certainly better than just giving in to routine. We will be creative. So the invitation is towards spiritual growth this morning. And uh, I want you to imagine... What could happen if we spent the next 90 days encouraging that spiritual growth? Oh, it it, it could be exciting. The stories we may tell when we come together in 90 days. I mean, I'm just thinking now about what that might be like. And it's going to be even better probably than what I'm imagining. So that invitation to spiritual growth, that means that If you haven't yet been baptized, and it's your desire to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Not for the forgiveness of your sins, but there's another part of that too. To walk in newness of life. 
to be a new creation. Now, if you have been baptized, the invitation is also for you. What have you been doing with the new life since your baptism? How have you grown? Now, if that generates some feeling of guilt in you right now, like, oh, I haven't grown like I should, well, get over it. Start growing. You have the opportunity. God is willing to give you all the resources of heaven and the encouragement of the church. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's from Ephesians. Everybody stand up. Look at this song. Kind of the first principle of spiritual growth is we have to turn our lives over to Him. We have to turn our lives over to Christ. That doesn't just happen on the day of our baptism. That happens every day for the believer as we continue to submit to Him, cultivating an atmosphere for the Spirit to grow. Let's sing.